Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our Sunday morning service, particularly if you are a, a visitor or a newcomer. It's great to, to have you with us this morning. As you know, it's been a sad week um, with the news of the passing of uh, Queen Elizabeth after 70 years of faithful service to her country. I'm sure you'll have heard the many tributes that have been made by, by leaders present and past uh, from this country and around the world, extolling uh, her many virtues, in particular her, her humility, her loyalty, her servant heart, all inspired by her faith in Jesus Christ. In one of her Christmas Day messages, she said this, God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, important though they are, but a saviour with a power to forgive. Forgiveness lies at the heart of the Christian faith. It can heal broken families, it can restore friendships, and it can reconcile divided communities. It is in forgiveness that we feel the power of God's love. Well, the Queen has gone to be with her Saviour, who is also her Lord, the true King of Kings, who will reign forever. And it's through him that we can pray to our Father in heaven. So let's pray to him now as we start our service together. Our Father in heaven, we come before you and kneel before your throne, trusting in your love and your power to forgive. We thank you for Queen Elizabeth and her many years of faithful service to our country. We thank you for her faith in Jesus and your faithfulness towards her that enabled her to reign with humility, wisdom, and a servant heart. We thank you that she's now gone to be with you and has received that welcome. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. We pray for her family and for the country as we mourn her loss, and for King Charles as he succeeds her as the new king. May he too trust in you for his strength and his salvation. We pray that you would bless our time together this morning as we offer you our praise and thanksgiving. And we pray that by your grace we will grow in our knowledge of you and in our likeness to Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. We're going to watch a um, short uh, video now in remembrance of Her Majesty the Queen, which focuses on her character and her faith. Uh, and as we do, so let's remember that um, in whatever role that God calls us to do, um, which may not, be, may not feel very important compared to that of a queen, um, God still calls us to serve him and to serve others. So let's, uh, let's watch this video and then we'll pray afterwards. It's with profound sadness, but also great thankfulness that we remember Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, who served so faithfully. As Britain's longest reigning monarch, the majority of us have never known a time when Queen Elizabeth II has not been on the throne. She has been a constant presence in an ever-changing world. When she was ten, her uncle, King Edward VIII, abdicated, and her father became King George VI. In 1947, the Queen married Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, and they were married for 73 years. The Queen had four children, 
eight grandchildren, and twelve great-grandchildren. She saw many prime ministers come and go. Although the queen was a world leader, she was consistently kind, hard-working, and respectful. She bestowed honor on those who made great contributions to society, but she also paid tribute to ordinary people whose work went unseen and unrewarded. The queen carried out her duty to her country cheerfully and faithfully. The queen was also a Christian and was always open about her faith. Six months before her coronation, she asked the people of the Commonwealth and the United Kingdom to pray for her, that God may give me wisdom and strength to carry out the solemn promises I shall be making, and that I may faithfully serve him and you all the days of my life. God has certainly answered these prayers throughout her reign. In her 2002 Christmas Day broadcast, she said, I know just how much I rely on my faith to guide me through the good times and the bad. Each day is a new beginning. I draw strength from the message of hope in the Christian gospel. In 2014, she called Jesus her inspiration, role model and anchor, who stretched out his hands in love, acceptance and healing on the cross. Jesus is the king of all kings and queens, the ruler, reigner and creator of the whole world, yet he came to serve, not to be served. In 2011, the queen spoke of our need for salvation from our recklessness and our greed. She said, God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, important though they are, but a saviour with the power to forgive. We will forever be humbled and inspired by her determination to dedicate her life to her throne, her people and her God. We honour her for her years of service devoted to both her country and God, and we thank Jesus, the King of all, for our Queen who served her King. I want to give you the opportunity now to pray and thank God for the life of the Queen in your own words. Um, so can I encourage you maybe just to where you are in, in families or um, maybe with the person next to you or just if you'd like to sit quietly on your own and uh, thank God for the Queen. Let's spend a couple of moments just uh, doing that in, in quietness. Let's pray for the work of Spectrum and pray for other things um, in the life of the church and the world. Now let's come to God. Father God, as we think of the, the long and stable reign of Queen Elizabeth, we are reminded that your reign is eternal and unshakable. As we think of her servant-heartedness and humility, we praise you for Jesus, who made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. We praise you that you exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge 
that Jesus Christ is Lord for the sake of your glory. Father, we pray that you would use our efforts as a church to, to glorify your name. We do pray for the work of Spectrum. We thank you for Jill and the team and their desire to serve you, not just through their artistic skills, but through their compassion for people and their needs, above all their spiritual needs. So may you bless that work. May you raise up new people to, to join that team. And may we continue to pray for them. Pray for other ministries starting back this week for the Connect Women's Bible Study on Tuesday, for the Toy Box group, and for any parents, carers and babies and toddlers who may come on Thursday, that they may receive a warm welcome and sense your presence here. Pray for our overseas mission and pray this morning for Renee and Simone, their work of Bible translation. Thank you for the progress that's uh, been made already and for the next stage in that particular project. And we pray that the parts of the Bible that have already been translated into that language would enable members of that people group to come to know the Lord. Pray for Rene in his new role as team leader as he seeks to support and supervise the, the team members. And we pray for their family, in particular for Johan as he starts boarding school in Germany. Pray for our UK mission and pray for the group of local FIC pastors as we meet together on Thursday to encourage one another as we pray for each other and the challenges that each church is facing at this time. We pray for our students as they start or return to university. We pray that they would make good Christian friends, that they would settle in churches or Christian unions, that you would protect them from temptation and draw them close to you during this time away. We pray for our church family here and particularly for those grieving. Pray for those with health concerns or caring for family members in poor health. May you renew their strength and fill them with your peace as they lean on you and trust in you. And we thank you that all we have comes from you. And so we pray you'd accept our offerings for the work here. We do thank you for the opportunity to use it for your work. Help us to hold on lightly to what you have given us. Help us to use it wisely. And may we be encouraged as we see the fruit from our giving. So bless the rest of our time this morning. Now we pray. We pray for Colin as he opens up your word to us. That you would speak to us through him. And fill us with wonder at your amazing grace. And fill us with confidence in the truth of your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Helen Walker is going to come and bring us our reading now from John chapter 10, verse 22 to 42. And then Colin will come up and preach. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life 
and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are God's? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy, because I said I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, Believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. Good morning, everyone. Thanks, Helen, for reading that. Uh, If you have that that handout there and you see someone with a a handbag and can negotiate with them to get a pen from them, I'm sure they would uh, be greatly rewarded just to take some notes. If you want to use it, great. If not, no problem. Uh, Dave Copping as well has got some pens he's only got a few (laughs) so I don't want to see any fighting Um, let's uh, ask the Lord's help as we come to this which is a a difficult text to understand that we'll be able to to see what it means for us today let's pray together Father God we do thank you that we can give you glory and so we we pray as as we sang glory be to God the Father Glory be to God the Son. Glory be to the Spirit. The Lord is our salvation. And we pray, Lord, that that as we meet you in your word today, that we would be transformed by you. Help us to to humble ourselves and to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if someone was to, to ask, why are you a Christian? What would you say to them? Maybe you grew up in a, in a Christian home. Maybe that is all you've ever known, that your parents are Christian, that your grandparents are Christian, and so that is your environment. And so you've never really known anything else other than Christianity. But does simply growing up in a Christian household, is that the thing that makes you a Christian? Or is there something more to it than that? Maybe, maybe you've had an experience in your life uh, when you, you thought you became a Christian, but there are times when perhaps, you know, you, you just say to yourself, I'm just not sure. Maybe you're the kind of person perhaps who's done lots of research, 
Maybe you've done lots of research on different kinds of religions. That you've laid all, all the, the evidence, you've examined it, and you've, well, you've either made a decision as to who Jesus is, or you're still weighing it up, comparing Christianity to other religions. Maybe you've just picked up the Bible for yourself, and you've seen who Jesus is, and you believe him. Or maybe you're really actually not sure. Maybe you're not sure where you stand with the Lord. You're not sure who who Jesus is and what it all means. Well, if that's the case, it's great to have you with us this morning as you explore the Christian faith. And as we as we finish the Gospel of John, if you'd like to be able to, to read the Gospel of John, please do grab a copy as you head out the door. If you'd like to read it with me, I'd love to be able to, to buy a cup of coffee and read it together. As you explain, as, as you explore it, what it means to be a Christian, what Jesus has done and what it means to follow him. Because as we look at this passage this morning in John 10, it really focuses on just one thing. It focuses on one thing, to believe. To believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And to believe in that because of three things that we'll see that that come out. The works of Jesus. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God because of his words and because of the truth about Jesus. So firstly, believe that Jesus is the Son of God because of the works of Jesus. In verse 22, as the passage opens, John tells us that it was a time of the festival of dedication. Festival of dedication in Jerusalem. Now this wasn't, if you look back in the Old Testament, this is not registered. This isn't an ancient festival, but it's actually fairly recent. A festival which, which began in 164 BC when an army led by Judas Maccabeus, known as Judas the Hammer, overthrew, uh, overthrew Jerusalem. Um, because um, the Syrian army, the Syrian army had overthrown it, sorry, and so Judas the Hammer had come to liberate the people. He'd come to liberate uh, the people from that, from that worship of, of pagan gods. And as a result, the, the temple was filled with pagan worship. And so the people celebrated this in this festival. They celebrated uh, the liberation that they had, that they were able to worship the Lord again in the temple, that it was legal to do so. And so during this festival, at this point, the Jews gathered round Jesus. And they say to him in verse 24, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. The words translated suspense can also be translated as annoy. In other words, how long, Jesus, will you annoy us? If you really are the Son of God, just tell us. Tell us that you are this, the Messiah. But the words there are not, they're not seeking to, to find clarity from him. They're seeking ammunition to use against him. Because in the light of the, the festival of dedication, well, they were expecting the Messiah and that he would be a military commander. A commander like King David in the Old Testament or like they just witnessed Judas the Hammer who had liberated their people. Someone, they thought, the Messiah would be someone who would, who would overthrow the Romans, liberate the people, and that they would be able to, to worship the Lord as they had. 
And so a meek man, a meek man who claims to, claims to be this good shepherd, well, he doesn't fit their role of what it means to be the Messiah, to be the Son of God. And I wonder, what, what might your view of Jesus be? Are you perhaps looking for a Jesus who will, who will fix everything right now, both in the world and in the country? That would be brilliant. But maybe, but maybe your, your view of him is that, that he will just fix everything right now, that he will take charge. Maybe it's that he will fix everything in your own personal life right now. Or do you trust him to see that actually he's not like that? That he is the good shepherd. And that he is the one who will be with you whatever trial, whatever storm you may face. That he leads you to calm, tranquil waters. That he refreshes your soul. Because he is gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus is not the commander that they expect. And so they reject him. As Jesus says to them in verse 25, I did tell you, I did tell you who I am, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. Because all Jesus' miracles testify of who he is. They display who he is. He is the Son of God. Yet the Jewish crowd, they don't, they don't accept it. They are infuriated with them. And they just try to kill him. As later it says in verse 33, Jesus says, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? And they say, we are, we are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Because when it comes to the miraculous signs that he performs, they just don't see they don't see who he is. They're looking for this powerhouse, this powerhouse political military commander. They're looking for him to liberate them. But they're not looking for a suffering servant who would die for them. That doesn't fit who they expect. And so they refuse to see what he does. They refuse to see his miracles, all the miracles that point to his authority. His divine authority. And as we look at Jesus' miracles, I remember a few years ago, I heard someone say that in the the miracle of feeding the 5,000, that it wasn't actually because Jesus had performed a miracle, but it was because people were hiding their lunches. And therefore, because of that, the moral of the story is be generous, especially with your lunch. But Perhaps you've heard stories like that. Maybe you've heard stories where people might say that Jesus' resurrection from the dead isn't actually a bodily resurrection, but it's just a, it's just a symbol. It's just a symbol of hope, a symbol of a new start, a fresh start. But if we read the Bible like that, if we read the Bible and cut out all the supernatural pieces, it doesn't make any sense. And in fact, if we ignore the miracles... We, we turn the Bible from a message of good news into a rule book. And that rule book will crush us. Because it's not supposed to be read like that. It is a book which gives life, a book which is a book of good news. 
If we take out the miracles, then it will become a burden to us and we will be exhausted by reading it. As Jesus tells us in verse 37 to 38, he tells us why he performed all these miracles. He says in verse 37, Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Why did Jesus perform these supernatural signs? Why did he perform all these miracles? The miracles, as you read through the Gospel of John, like turning water into wine, healing the sick, feeding the 5,000, and raising the dead to life. He did them that you would believe that he is the Son of God, that he holds that authority, that we would see the relationship that Jesus has with the Father and trust in him as the Son of God. As Jesus says, we should believe in him as the Son of God because of his works. But secondly, we should believe in him because of the words of Jesus. In verse 36, Jesus says to the Jews who gather around him that they they do not believe him because they are not his sheep. As he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. It means that for us, if, if we claim to be a sheep of the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus, then we'll listen to his voice and we will follow him. We'll follow him wherever he calls us to go because we know that where he leads us is to a good place. That when we hear the Lord's voice speak to us through scripture, we should respond to him with obedience. It might mean that the Lord is maybe at this time calling you to, to give up something in your life for him as you, as you follow him, as you obey him. There may be some area in your life that you know you need to, to die to, to put aside to. It might mean that he's calling you to pick something up, to, to do something for his glory. Maybe an early morning prayer meeting with someone, maybe reading the Bible with someone, maybe serving in, in church, serving a neighbor, seeking to, to give to something, to the church, to, to a missionary. Whatever the Lord is calling you, follow him. Obey him. That we obey him, not because we have to, but because he says we belong to him. We belong to the good shepherd because we are known by him. Jesus knows you. He knows you more than you know yourself. And he knows everything about you. He doesn't love you because of who you are. He loves you despite who you are. And he loves you enough to lay down his life and die for you. We follow the good shepherd who leads us, who guides us, who provides for us, who refreshes our soul, that he would give us life and life in all its fullness. As Jesus goes on to tell us, he tells us about how we gain this eternal life and then how we keep this eternal life. As he says from verse 28 to 30, he says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. We gain eternal life because as we see in verse 29, the Father 
graciously gives his sheep to his son, the shepherd. And the son gives them eternal life by laying down his life for his sheep on the cross. As it says in Ephesians 1, in love, the father chooses you before the foundations of the world that he would give you as a gift of love to his son. And the son dies on the cross for all those whom the father has given him. Then the Holy Spirit, he guarantees our heavenly inheritance by sealing it in our hearts that we would know the eternal love of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that he would draw us in to that love forever. Such is his vast and immeasurable love for us. We can do nothing but worship him, but follow him. Because our salvation, your salvation, is a gift of God. A gift from the heart of the Father to the Son, to the Good Shepherd, as he knows you by name and calls you to himself. What a wondrous love that we have in the Lord Jesus. All this is a gift, a gift of sovereign grace of God. Our responsibility is to trust in the Lord, to trust in the Lord Jesus and be saved from our sins. As we see something really here of the mystery of God, we see that that God is totally sovereign, that he is in total control of everything. And yet at the same time, we are responsible. We are responsible and called to respond to him in repentance and faith. God's sovereignty and man's responsibility just go hand in in hand. It's not one or the other, but both together. As God the Father saves us by his grace, and he keeps us by his grace. We cannot sin ourselves out of the love of God. That is pride, that we would in some way work our way out of the love of God, because he keeps us by his grace we are truly his. Jesus says that no one will snatch them out of my hand and no one can snatch them out of my father's hand. It means that if you are living in sin right now, turn to him and he will receive you. He will forgive you freely and welcome you into his love. You would know and be assured of his love forever. That nothing, nothing, as it says in Romans 8, can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, absolutely nothing. So if we think that maybe we haven't done quite enough, we haven't done enough. Jesus has done it all. Trust in him, believe in him, know that he loves you and receive his love. Maybe you say to yourself, I'm just not sure. Because sometimes you might have that kind of rose petal thinking, maybe he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. But that's not how the Lord works. He loves you. And he keeps you. Because you are in the Father. And no one can snatch them out of Jesus' hands or the Father's hands. Because you are in him. It is a mystery. It's a mystery of the Trinity. That we would truly understand this. But it is a mystery of the love of God. That we are saved at all. Because he loves us so much.
And so therefore, in that light, in the light of that, let that message humble you. Let it humble you and let yourself receive the love of God. Perhaps as you, as you sin, you think, maybe, I, maybe God doesn't really love me anymore. That is not true. Look to the cross and see what love costs. It costs everything that the Lord would buy you back to himself. Maybe as we celebrate the, the Lord's table every so often, maybe in those moments, maybe when you're tempted to think, I need to do more. I've had a terrible week and I need to do more in some way to make it up to God. Humble yourself before the Lord and receive what he has done for you. Receive that he has, that he has broken his body for you, that he has shed his blood for you, that you would receive that as you trust in him. That you would receive his love for all the things that he has done for you. And lastly, we believe that Jesus is the son of God because of the truth because of the truth about Jesus. Because of Jesus' words, the, the Jewish people want to stone him. They want to kill him for blasphemy, as he claims to be God. Because despite his works and his words, they do not believe him. And so this is a really dark time for Jesus. But John says to us from verse 40 to 42, Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed, and many people came to him. He said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. If we were to look back at chapter 1 and verse 28, we see that this is where Jesus' ministry began with John. John was, was, he was baptizing, a baptism of repentance, that people would turn from their sins, and he was waiting on the Messiah. And in that day, Jewish sources, they didn't really rely on anyone. They didn't really put any trust in anyone that didn't perform a miracle. But as many people came to Jesus, they said that, that though John never performed a sign or a miracle, all that John said about this man was true. Because even though John never performed any miracle, his message was true. John's message was faithful clear and true faithful clear and true and that's my prayer as as i speak as i preach that i would speak not from my own mouth not from my own heart but from god's mouth that i would say things which are faithful clear and true not to cower away from things which might be unpopular or difficult but actually speak what the lord has given us his word is truth that we would preach it that we would share it which means we need to pray. Because in our own strength, in our own power, we do not want to share things which are unpopular. We do not want to say things which might cause offense. We need to pray that the Lord would give us strength, that we would be dependent people, dependent on the Lord. Otherwise, we will live compromised lives with compromised messages. We need to be dependent on the Lord in prayer, that we would bow before him, and ask him for strength, that we would speak his truth. But perhaps, though, maybe you might say, is that really true? Is this really true? I remember a a few months ago, a friend of mine was sharing his doubts about his faith because many people he'd known, and unfortunately many Christian leaders, had failed him. He felt demoralized and discouraged. And this 
demoralized way of thinking drifted into my thoughts. I, I thought, well, why is this happening? Lots of people seem to be walking away from the faith. Many Christian leaders seem to be failing and letting a lot of people down. It feels like a disaster at times. And I stayed in that that line of thinking for a few days until I actually went to see someone. I went to visit someone and just ask them about their faith, how they came to know Jesus. And they shared with me how they'd they'd gone to church as a student and someone had, had given them a Bible and told them to read, start from the New Testament. And so they read the Gospel of Matthew. And it was there that they said to me, it was there where I started to read the Bible for myself and I realized it was true. Jesus is who he says he is. And I thought that, that is it. It is true. The fact that we fail Jesus doesn't mean that there's an issue, an issue with the message. It means that there's an issue with us. We are the problem, not the message. And yet still, God is gracious to those who sin against him. God continues to shine his face towards us, despite the fact that we don't deserve it. And so don't believe in Jesus just because of the the works that he performed. Don't believe in him just because of the, the words he says. But believe in Jesus because it is true. Because it's true. Because as as we look back on this on this passage, there is one part of it which I which I haven't touched on. Because as Jesus talks about his works and his words, he answers his critics with an Old Testament psalm. As you look from verse thirty four to thirty six, he says to the Jewish people, It is not written, is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods. If he claimed if he called them gods, to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be set aside what about the one whom the father set apart as his very own and sent into the world why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because i said i am god's son on first read on second read and on third read it's quite a difficult passage quite a a strange section to understand why does jesus quote psalm 82 verse 6 where it says I have said, you are gods. And then, and then say the word came to them and scripture cannot be ignored. What, what about the one whom the father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? What, what does this mean? Well, if you look back at Psalm 82, in the verse before it, in verse 5, it says, the gods know nothing Gods, in inverted commas, know nothing and understand nothing. And they walk about in darkness. Because the gods are those who are supposed to be God's people. But they do not respond to God's message at all. They are blind and deaf. Just like the Jewish people surrounding Jesus. They hear the message, but they do not listen. And so what is Jesus saying to us here? He's saying the, the word of God testified to the one who would come. And scripture has the authority of God and so therefore cannot be ignored. He says that, that he is the one. He is the one sent from the Father. Jesus is the one whom the Father has sent into the world to complete his mission. That he has set him aside 
Because as we see in the, in the example of this festival, he has set him aside to purify, to set aside and to make pure the holy temple of Jerusalem. That through what he has done on the, on the cross, that we would become pure and holy as his holy temple. That we as his people, because of what he's done, because of laying down his life for us, that we would have life in his name. He came to die the death that we deserve because he lived the life that we could not. He is the son of God who came to give his life, the good shepherd who came to lay his life down for us. Because this episode is set in winter, a dark day, a time of darkness. But this true shepherd, he would lay down his life in a moment of darkness on the cross that through trusting in him, we would have life in his name. We would have hope, not just a symbolic hope, but a true, living, eternal hope through what he has done for us. Therefore, be assured. Be assured of his love for you as we look to the cross, as we look to all that Jesus has done for you. Be assured of his love to know how much he loves you as the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. One question I want to, to leave you with as we, as we reflect on that this morning. In what way might believing in Jesus change your life? What does it mean to, be, to believe in Jesus, to trust in Jesus, and to follow Jesus? Let me pray as we close. Father God, we are mindful of how challenging your word can be sometimes. And we pray that you would help us um, by the power of your spirit to, to apply it to our own hearts. Lord, if there's anyone here who's not trusting in you, who's not believing in you, that they would turn to you and receive the love of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and enjoy that love. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to follow you, to follow you whatever that might be, because you have given your life for us, to give us life eternal. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.